Well, happy Sunday morning to you. Hopefully you are doing well. I'm looking forward to this series because it opens the veil a little bit of what our staff has been talking about over the last couple of weeks. Um, we were looking at adding programming to the, through our first service. But in order to do that, we, we need some of you. We, we need your help. This is where we all kind of come in at. Now, from our very beginning, one of our focuses was creating a present, intentional atmosphere in our kids' environments. And Jenny and Shannon and Stacy and uh, Melissa have done an amazing job making that happen. Where our kids want to come back to church. I've heard families joke that they encourage their friends they've been inviting to make sure they bring their kids because they know that their kids will want to come back, which means the parents will come back. Now, this is humbling because it has nothing to do with the preaching and teaching. But here's the catch. To ensure that this continues to be the case, we need more of you. We need more of you to volunteer in our environments. In each environment, they work together to create an atmosphere where guests are welcomed and kids can't wait to come back. And I want to make sure, and I believe you know this to be true, that our church is thriving for the next generation, especially as we begin to pass our leadership of our church to them. Now, it's possible that one of your kids will be leading worship or leading one of our environments or leading our camp or leading our academy. It's possible that one of your sons will be taking my spot. So today, I want to do what I can to inspire you to consider an invitation to serve. I believe it's an opportunity for you to meet other busy, successful people who didn't have the time but made the time. But first, before we even get there, I want to tell you the story. I want to tell you the backstory to the story of the church, how we got here. So after Jesus' death and resurrection and then his ascension, Peter and the other followers of Jesus begin to proclaim that Jesus is alive. So thousands and thousands of people begin to believe, and not only believe, but begin to follow Jesus. And they're part of this movement, and it's growing, it's exploding. Now the men that, they, that thought that they had rid themselves of Jesus and his movement were shocked. They're thinking, well, we killed the leader, how's this thing still going? So Luke, who was a doctor, who became a journalist, begins to record from eyewitnesses, what had happened, and notice what he writes. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. So the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they were both like religious political parties, so think Democrat and Republican, and they were filled with jealousy. They were jealous of what was happening. They saw this amazing growth happen, that people were leaving And becoming part of this movement. They were shocked. They were jealous. And out of their jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. Now they were ready to try them the next day. God arranged an escape. And so they escaped. And you would think they would flee the city. No, Peter and the others are back in the temple the very next day preaching. So they're arrested again. And taken in front of the same men who convinced Pilate to execute Jesus. Now, they may have expected the same fate as Jesus because Jesus predicted that many of them would die for their faith, their belief. They would die for what they saw, him resurrected from the dead. I'll take a moment. 
Like take a moment to think about what you would have done if your fate would have been as Jesus. Like what does this tell you about what they saw? So the high priest said to Peter and the other apostles, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. It's a you versus us. Like you are going against us. And we told you not to do this. Like we arrested you before. We told you not to do this. And yet here you are again doing it. And so maybe the other apostles maybe looked over and Peter like, all right, man, let's go. So they responded this way. We must obey God rather than human beings. We fear God more than we fear you. And we know that what pleases God is obedience. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. We're not trying to make you guilty of anything. We know that you you are. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. He's like, listen, there's still a chance for you to repent. Ask God to forgive you for what you did. We are witnesses of these things. And listen, you may want to take us out, but good luck trying to take out the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Y'all killed him. God raised him. We saw him. We spent time with him for almost 40 days. Listen, if y'all want to take us out, try taking out the Holy Spirit who is stirring the faith in the people. This goes beyond us, man. This is a God thing. God is moving in the hearts of people. So Peter and the disciples were flogged in order not to mention the name of Jesus again. Now notice what happens immediately following their release. Now listen, if you've ever suffered in pain, how do you typically react? Typically there's tears. Typically there's like you're in agony. For some of us, maybe we're cursing. For, for others of us, man, we're just, we're wishing that we would, that God would take us. Like we don't handle pain well, particularly in America. Now notice, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Man, those are our people. Those are our people. See, happiness is very circumstantial. It's based on our circumstances. But joy is not, man. It transcends our circumstances, man. They had something that only God could put in them. Those are our people. These are the re- they are one of the reasons why you and I are here today. The fear of death for them had lost its thing because of the risen Jesus who defeated death. Everything about Jesus for everybody in the world was good news and they wanted everyone to know that. And the only people that were standing in their way were those who believed contrary to that. See, they had purpose. See, Jesus had given them a commission to go, teach, baptize, and make disciples. And that's what they were doing. 
See, they were honoring their king. See, when we understand who we've pledged our allegiance to, we will have purpose. As a result of their courage and their boldness, man, something impossible was happening. In those days, Luke writes, when the number of disciples was increasing. I mean, by the thousands. Explosive growth also created some problems, created some challenges. Specifically, a food distribution challenge. And so the church in Jerusalem was Jewish, and they had two groups. You had the Hebraic, and so they shared the same culture and language, but then you had thousands more who were Hellenistic, and they were born outside of Judea, and they spoke Greek, and they were Greek culturally. The church assumed the responsibility for caring for all the widows, which meant preparing meals. And so you had the Hellenistic widows somehow weren't being helped as quickly or efficiently as the Hebraic widows. And so the Hellenistic Jews complained. And it wasn't a discrimination problem. It was a distribution problem. Like growth had overwhelmed their system. So it wasn't a people problem. It was a systems problem. And so the disciples were, were trying to handle everything themselves. And that was admirable. But there were just too many widows. So they had a meeting. Ever been to a church business meeting? In the South, this is why Second Baptist is across the street from First Baptist. Now, for some of us, we don't want to relive some bad memories, so we'll move on. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, they were uniquely prepared and qualified to teach because they had been with Jesus. It wasn't because they were too good to care for widows. They believed both were important. But they couldn't do them, they couldn't do both things by themselves. And so, brothers and sisters, choose seven men, men among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. First and last time, the entire church agreed on something. So they chose, and they were looking for specific people to meet a specific need. And so they needed people who embraced the mission and were willing to do what needed to be done. So they chose seven, and this was wise, Greek men to help. They spoke Greek, they were culturally Greek, which meant it was a smart leadership move to connect with the Hellenistic widows. So it was Stephen. So they chose Stephen. Stephen started out serving the widows, and then he became an apologist. He defended the faith. Man, he was so convincing and so powerfully convincing that these powerful religious leaders had to hire people to lie about him. And it ended in his death. In fact, Stephen was the first martyr of our faith. Even before the remaining 11 hand-picked disciples of Jesus, Stephen died first. So not only did they choose Stephen, but they also chose Philip. And later he begins to share the message of the resurrected Jesus with an important politician and influencer from Ethiopia. And then they selected five more guys who undoubtedly had jobs and were willing to sacrifice convenience to serve a greater purpose. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Notice what happens next. 
that not only were the widows intentionally cared for, but the message of the resurrected Jesus continues to be preached and more people become followers. So the word of God spread, Luke writes, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. I think we know this to be true. Momentum in a movement needs a moment. Momentum in a movement needs a moment. We know this to be true in sports. Like when that turnover happens and the offense scores a touchdown, they win the game, right? It's a turnover that created, that moment of a turnover created momentum. The same thing happens, bottom of the ninth, the, the, the leadoff hitter gets, the, gets a single and so on and so on until they win. A moment can create momentum. And maybe your moment for you at work is that you got this contract and this contract is with an influencer and this influencer is going to influence other companies to join you. We all know that momentum in a movement needs a moment and this moment was figuring out what to do, who could serve in distributing food because the guys who were taught by Jesus needed to do what only they could do, which was teach the word. So making a decision on food distribution led to other things. Something that seemed so mundane, not real important, was very important because it led to, it led to other things. It allowed the disciples to be back in the temple courts, teaching and preaching. That led to conversations with the leading priests, who then became followers of Jesus because they were convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. One thing led to another. And it was one seemingly mundane task of feeding the widows that led to thousands of miracles. And what we mean by miracle is you had people come to know Jesus. And that is a miracle. Salvation is a miracle. Think about it here. The seemingly mundane task of opening a door for a family coming to church for the first time can lead to something so much more. Their kids hearing about faith. Them sitting in here hearing about faith and making a decision to follow Jesus. Now we have a moment to see momentum in the growth of our local church. Guys, I, I believe you'll never regret what you do for the local church. Just like Stephen, just like Philip, just like the disciples, are you willing to sacrifice your convenience for something greater than yourself? I'm not a salesman. I don't attempt to be one. But I want to tell you the story that in 2016, I made an ask of our small group from our church in Fairfax to consider starting a church. What if instead of we had to travel 35 to 45 minutes to church that we could do it here? With six adults and two kids and the kids didn't get a vote. We had no money. We had no buildings. We had no people. But we had a vision. We had a vision of creating a different kind of church. And that vision fueled us as we added more people. And then it fueled us. It fueled us when we, eight months in, had a family decide to leave and take other families with them because they had a different vision for but that vision of creating a different kind of church kept fueling us. 
and that it fueled us even more. When we broke 100, and we broke 150, and they were nearing 200, and then COVID happened. And that vision kept fueling us. It was a year, a year of only online. We were not allowed to meet inside the school. The school then said, hey, you can meet outside. And so we began meeting outside for five months. But that vision kept fueling us, that we wanted to be a different kind of church. And then as we started meeting back up again, and then we did the capital campaign to begin to raise the initial money to begin building this facility. And then we moved in. And so here we are now, six years later, with more people and a mortgage. We still have the same vision. And that's fueling us. That keeps us going. For, for some of us, that's, that's what wakes us up in the morning. Think about this. Next Sunday, a man will show up with his family. They're on the brink of divorce. And they're hoping, they're hoping to get it right. Think about a wife who will show up with three kids without her husband because he doesn't believe. If it was your son, if it was your daughter-in-law, if it was your son-in-law, if it was your daughter, if it was your brother or sister, what would you want them to experience here? Guys, I think every day about the state of our country, especially as it seems that the church has lost our influence, and whether it was because the church has done some really dumb things, or whether because culture has just, just been extremely loud and convincing, or maybe both, I desire our church to become intentionally meaningful to our community. I desire that our church helps connect the dots to our next generation of why and how to follow Jesus in a world that doesn't want him. I imagine, and I hope you imagine with me, that our next generation doesn't have to deconstruct their faith like many are doing today because we as a local church got it right. It's time that we inconvenience ourselves for something greater than ourselves. And I want us to think about this. Have you ever given thought to what our church would look like in 10 years? And then ask yourself this, how can this be my moment? How can this be my moment? Heavenly Father, we're incredibly thankful for the growth that happened in the very beginning. The growth that we're experiencing as a local church today it gives us great confidence that you are growing your church. That Jesus is alive and well growing his church. And thank you for allowing us to be a part of it. And I ask that for some of us, we would consider being a part of it. We would consider taking a step of faith and serving in an environment once or twice or three times a month. I ask that we would be able to take that step because we believe in the life change that's happening. So God, I ask that we would be willing to inconvenience ourselves for something greater than ourselves. And that we would enjoy meeting the people who are busy, successful, who didn't have the time, but they made the time. 
God, help us to have vision. In Jesus' name, amen.